Eisenberg on WHMP. This is Indeed Talk, the talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And we have with us, as she is every month, the state senator from our district, Joe Comerford. Senator, thank you so much for being with us. I hear road noise. I take it you're driving. Where are you off to? Good morning, uh, Bill and Buzz. Uh, I am on the road to Boston, as I am a lot um, these days. Yeah, how often do you have to go? You know, it depends on the week, as always. But, you know, some days I'm on the road five days. Um, We had a a spate of ways and means hearings, as you know. That took us all over the Commonwealth. But, you know, just the other week I was in Boston five days. You know, it's a wonderful place to be. I get to work with great colleagues. um, And it's a lot of driving. Yeah. uh, Wow. That must be really tiring strikes me. I mean, I remember that one reason that Aaron Vega said he was giving up his house seat or not running for re-election after four very successful terms, said, it's the driving, it's the commute, it's all that time, and all the time it takes away from my family. Is it a burden? Uh, you know, it's a lot. You know, uh, my colleagues out east, uh, they they may have a 10-minute commute or a 20-minute commute. Um I could have a a two-and-a-half-hour commute or a three-hour commute if I'm really unlucky. So it is. It's that on top of the work. So it extends the day. Um, But, you know, it is the job out here in Western Mass. That's what we sign up for. And you're right that uh, Rep. Vega did it extremely well. Um, But we all know that that's what we're signing up for when we ask to be elected. Well, more motivation for East-West Rail or West-East Rail. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to jump on a train Yeah, um, and work and snooze and, you know, do whatever I do um, on and, my way to Boston with Wi-Fi. And any thoughts, Senator, on when we might actually see East-West Rail? Are we talking, we're not talking about a stopwatch or a newspaper or a monthly calendar, but... Any idea what year it might be when we'll actually be able to get on that train and go to Boston from here? Well, what's really important to note is that MassDOT is working on the line improvements necessary to have East-West Rail be a Pittsfield, be a reality. Uh, you know, th- there is also a rail commission that is moving that we've talked about on your show uh, I'm on that rail commission. We also did get the, legis- the Western Mass delegation did get $250 million in bond authorization. So there's a lot churning. Um, and that, you know, the commission is uh, supposed to figure out the right governance model for not only East-West Rail from Pittsfield, but the Valley Flyer, which is north-south, the Berkshire Flyer, uh, and the Route 2 corridor, the Northern Tier Rail. So you know, there's a lot of projects churning, but of course, uh, the Queen project is east from Pittsfield. Senator, I was really looking forward to your coming on the show this morning because I wanted to ask you about a, a uh, bill, a pr- piece of proposed legislation that I know is near and dear to your heart, uh, and that is the end of life options bill in Massachusetts. Indeed. And I'm wondering if you could tell us where that stands and what its prospects are in this legislative session. Sure. Um, Thanks for raising it. It's really important to constituents in this region, for sure, Bill. Um, So uh, as folks know, that bill has been before the legislature for many years. 
I, as Senate Chair of the Joint Committee on Public Health, I reported it for the first time favorably out of committee twice. That's last session and the session before that. Uh, I am now the lead Senate sponsor on that bill, along with a great House member, um, Rep. Jim O'Day. And I have great partners in the Senate, Senator Sue Moran, Senator Will Brownsberger. So we're uh, a trio in the Senate of support, and they're great advocates. Um, The bill is stronger and stronger every time it's filed. In fact, I I do believe it's one, it, it is the strongest and I think most thoughtful proposal in the nation currently. Um, and I feel really good about it and very settled about the prospect of affording people choice at the end of their life. Can you tell us uh, what the bill, bill provides, is- Senator? Oh, sure. It's a very long bill, Bill. Um, <laughs> so essentially what it does is it, it allows people who have received a terminal diagnosis of six months or fewer who are physically capable of administering their own medication to work with physicians uh, on an end-of-life plan where they would have, they would be able to end their life on their own terms. And there are all sorts of safety provisions. You talk about this bill uh, being the best in... Health. Yeah, yeah, tell us about those. Well, there's many safeguards around mental health. Uh, people uh, have to have... Uh, sign off for mental health providers. There's many safeguards around palliative care, which is important, meaning people have to get robust information on the palliative or hospice care available to them uh, so that they're not feeling like this is the only option for them. And that could be pain management, right? It could be other ways of those of, of, uh, of, of moving through the last days. They have to actually have witnesses, um, two witnesses to this, one of whom cannot financially benefit from the estate. And, and this was a very poignant uh, request from the disability rights community, one of whom who would not be the person charged for the individual who wants to make this decision. And this is both around coercion so that people, so that this really is, um, there's no coercion for people wanting to make this choice. What are the prospects for this bill? I will only speak for the Senate here. I do believe that over the last four years, we've made great gains in the Senate. Uh, we are right now calling through all of our colleagues to take their temperature on the bill and ask for their support. It's before the Joint Committee on Public Health. We have asked for an early hearing because, as you know, when a piece of legislation is let out of a committee favorably, which we expect this one would be, uh, given that it's been out favorably twice before, it takes time to move that bill to the floor, Uh, especially a bill like this where many conversations are needed uh, and many, many uh, briefings to the caucuses are needed. So... Um, I am hopeful that we will get an early hearing. The committee chairs, I am no longer the chair of Joint Committee on Public Health, but the chairs understand the importance of this bill. So I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that we are going to be able to move this expeditiously and then um, get Senator Comerford, this is Buzz. We often hear about how much uh, 
people in Massachusetts really support this bill and the end-of-life options, the Massachusetts Coalition. Uh, it's reported by State House News Service and uh, repeated in yesterday's Mass Live that there will be a uh, poll that's going to be released uh, this week. It might be Wednesday um, that will say how Massachusetts feels about it. However, uh, the it, it looks like the the um, nationally is 74 percent in the last Gallup poll of Americans support an end of life option and the ability for people to uh, control their own destiny in the way your bill uh, aims yeah. for us to. So it's it's pretty. It's a uh, you're speaking on behalf of the majority of people. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, absolutely. And the poll before this one um, also showed that for our state, but it was 77%, I believe. And certainly, you know, my inbox uh, would tell me that my constituents support this. And also we are surrounded with stories, and I'm sure both of you grapple with them, where people are reaching the end of their days uh, and they fear either some significant pain or loss of autonomy or other really complex realities with the end of life or a, a terminal diagnosis. And they are forced to do things that, you know, are much more arduous, much more protracted, um, much more wrenching for their loved ones. And, you know, for example, stopping eating or drinking. And that is not humane. I, I do not believe that is humane. And I believe that people who are, again, of sound mind and ability um, have a right to make choices for themselves um, that the state of Massachusetts would support. It seems to me, I have one more comment slash question on this for you, Senator. It seems to me that this bill at its heart is empowering people to have agency for themselves. Instead of having the state make a decision, an individual gets to make a decision with their family and their doctor and their loved ones and come to what is right for them. And it takes government out of the equation and gives us the rights we feel we have as individuals. And I'm wondering if that is one of the driving forces behind this. Sure, yeah. People have a right to have a say over their own body. And, you know, and that, that right you know, is afforded, for example, you know, with choice, right? The right to choose whether or not an individual becomes pregnant. But this is saying we have a right to choose in this instance at the end of our life. And folks may never access that right, but it's, it should be theirs nonetheless. I also, I don't want to monetize this issue, but uh, it's inescapable. Something like 40% of our uh, medical expenses in this country are spent in the last 120 days of people's lives. And if people don't wish to be going through the kinds of nightmares that we see time and time again, the loss of dignity, uh, the pain for the people who love them, uh, that society has a monetary interest in allowing people to make choices involving their own life. You know, it's really an interesting, certainly I've heard that buzz in myself, you know, of course, through my own reading, I see that. So I think one of the more powerful things about this bill is it, it is actually apart from the finances. Those finances are, of course, undeniable, as is an individual's finance, financial situation. But this is really about other things. It's about how we 
choose those last minutes, those last days of our lives with us and our doctor and our loved ones. Um, and certainly there are financial ramifications of any choice we make. Um, but in this case, the bill really only thinks about, um, about that kind of autonomy and dignity. We are speaking with State Senator Joe Comerford. She is on her way to Boston, as we can hear in the background. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to find out more about the business of the Senate and how it will affect us here in western Massachusetts this year. We'll continue with Senator Comerford right after this. to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Your expectations. What are your expectations for your new home addition? Construct Associates in Northampton can show families just like yours a world of possibilities. From antique to ultra-modern, kitchen and bath, additions, design and construction, residential and commercial, renovation and restoration. Construct Associates in Northampton and your imagination. Expanded and released by serious craftsmen doing quality work. Visit their website right now at constructassociates.com. No matter your age, love is always a hot topic. And so is love that goes south and everything in between. Join Young at Heart at the Academy of Music Theater in Northampton on Sunday, May 7th at 3 p.m. for The Love Show, featuring an unexpected combination of songs. From Lizzo to Marvin Gaye and Rihanna to the Buena Vista Social Club, Get ready to hear all about the dimensions and experiences of love and sex. If you want a lover, I'm your man. Young at Heart, backed by the fabulous Young at Heart Band, Sunday, May 7th at 3 p.m. at the Academy of Music in Northampton. Tickets are available through the Academy of Music box office. Call today or get them online at aomtheater.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with State Senator Joe Comerford. During the break, we were talking about something that caught my eye, I think a week or so ago, in the Daily Hampshire Gazette and the Republican, and that is that you testified before a committee involving a 
the, the future of the Quabbin. Uh, I think the headline had to do with watershed uh, hearings and protection. And I'm wondering if you could tell our listeners what that's about, Senator. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it, this is a bill I'm really excited about. I filed it with Representative Aaron Saunders, uh, who is a new rep and uh, coming in strong. So this bill actually does four things, uh, and those four things are as follows. One is it says, you know, 80, roughly 85 years ago, four towns were disincorporated, and uh, we understand, of course, that many Native American communities were also similarly uprooted, uh, even before that time, of course, because of settlement. And then the Swift River flooded what was become the Quabbin Reservoir, uh, and effectively ending um, those communities, but also really disrupting that part of our western Massachusetts um, region, right? Because we put a, you know, $412 billion, uh, sorry, billion gallon um, reservoir in the middle of communities that really just arrest any kind of economic development or transportation. So this bill says, okay, uh, the state of Massachusetts did that. It needed potable water, uh, which, of course, it searched for 130 years ago and uh, landed on the Quabbin. And so we need now some recompense uh, for the communities uh, in that region. And that includes Native American tribal communities that were displaced. And so we need recompense. And so we need a trust fund, a Quabbin Reservoir Trust Fund, uh, which would be gotten by putting a tax of five cents on every thousand gallons drawn from the Quabbin. And about 20 million gallons are drawn daily from the Quabbin Reservoir headed east to Metro Boston. The second thing it does is it says, hey, Massachusetts, um, why is it that we get pilot or payment in lieu of taxes for the land in the watershed? But why not the land under the water? That was land. Those were communities. Those were settlements. So why are we not uh, affording the municipalities ringing the Quabbin, stewarding the 100,000-acre watershed. Why are we not actually compensating them properly? So it actually says the land under the Quabbin needs to be included when we look at state-owned land that can't be developed and is afforded a payment in lieu of taxes or pilot payments. The third thing it does is it says, hey, we need more than one voice on the what is called the MWRA, the Massachusetts Water Resources Authority, uh, we need more than one voice from the Connecticut River Valley. So we're going to get more than one voice, and we're going to get three, and we're okay, we'll you know, increase the number of board members from 11 to 13. Still not too big. Uh, and Western Mass has a trio of people who know our region, who care for our people, and who can represent us. And then the fourth is maybe the most important. It says that the MWRA must, look at the needs, the water needs of Western Massachusetts, even as it expands or seeks to expand uh, into Eastern Massachusetts. Right now, the MWRA wants to um, get Quabbin water to about 15 communities north of Boston, about 10 to the south, and maybe a dozen more in the Metro West area. That's around Framingham. And it says, okay, if you do that kind of exploration, you also have to understand or help us understand how communities to the south and the west and the east and the north of the Quabbin Reservoir, right here in western Massachusetts, are served. 
And as you all both know, uh, you know, water is, and I said this during the hearing, water is life. And we in Western Massachusetts, like everywhere else in the Commonwealth, are struggling with water sewer infrastructure and potable water issues. And we cannot be left behind as the state does strategic planning to make sure this pristine and, you know, unbelievably valuable water goes to eastern Massachusetts. We must be part of that equation so that lawmakers have every bit of information we need to make equitable, fair choices. And Senator, I think you're going to be tired of my asking you this question, but what are the prospects for legislation that will achieve these goals? Well, so it's the first time the bill is filed. As you know well, Bill, um, legislation doesn't always move the first time it's filed. However, as you noted, and I think this is really important, this has caught fire. Uh, This is an idea whose time was overdue. Uh, And so I do believe the committee, which, you know, had an urge from me to hear the bill early, the committee is hearing from many in the Commonwealth about their concerns for potable water. They're wanting assurances of better management of the MWRA. So I am hopeful that we see something come out this session. Let me turn to another topic, if I might, Senator. I want to know your views with regard to the tax package, which has passed, uh, and how that intersects with the fair share amendment, whether or not education funding. I'm in, particularly, in particular, I am interested in whether education K-12 and higher ed is going to be uh, funded more robustly. So talk to us, if you would, please, about the tax package and education, the fair share amendment, if you would, please. Sure. So uh, many in our region fought and helped pass the fair share amendment. So they fought for and helped pass. And, you know, I think in Northampton, Amherst, and in the Connecticut River Valley, we had unbelievably robust support for um, that ballot question, uh, which, of course, has been before us, you know, in some form or another for more than a decade, this question. Um, So the governor uh, put out a tax package that was about a billion dollars, say, more or less, because it rolls in, uh, some of it rolls in. And it did seek to return uh, to some of the wealthiest in the form, for example, of capital gains, um, some some funds. And that was concerning to a number of people in our region and, and in the Senate, because the concern here is that it would erode what we hoped would be the promise of the fair share, uh, which was destined both for education, as you said, public education, and transportation. And that's everything from roads to culverts to bridges to trains to, um, to, ra- to buses. So there was concern about the governor's um, budget. The House also passed a tax package uh, that uh, similarly, you know, some of it went to low- and middle-income uh, earners, but a significant portion went to the wealthiest. The Senate now is grappling with our own tax package. And uh, just so voters and um, residents here know, I do not favor uh, a short-term capital gains reduction. I do not favor what is called a single uh, sales factor um, change, which is a a sort of more of a business directed. I do, however, uh, favor some working uh, and middle-class tax breaks. Um, for example, the earned income tax credit, 
which is one of my very favorite and I think one of the most effective anti-poverty taxes in uh, tax breaks in the Commonwealth and the nation, actually. Um, I favor really expanding that, lowering the age, raising raising the age of eligibility, uh, increasing the state match. I favor even going further than that. But so I think that there are interventions that we can and should do in the Senate. Uh, The Senate had a tax package out um, that we voted on at the end of last session that I voted yes on and I felt very good about that also, um, which I do agree has to happen. It it increases the estate tax uh, because estates are now worth a significant amount more than a million dollars sum. It increases it increases the deduction. It makes the first $2 million instead of $1 million exactly. exempt from tax, which I understand. We just have a minute left, but I really would love you to go back to something you just commented on, and that was the part of the governor's tax package, which I think has passed the House, which uh, reduces well, the, 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 tax yeah, the tax on, on short-term capital gains. The people who buy a stock on Monday and sell it the next week make money, and their right. tax these are day traders. This isn't long-term investing for the benefit of the Commonwealth. I don't understand why the governor really put this in as part of her package. It's not clear why Governor Healy did this. Uh, I will say, um, I you know, I, I am not in support of it. The House passed its own package, so in the end, there will be three ideas before us that we'll have to reconcile. Um, the governor's baseline, and then the House's package, and then the Senate's package. And, of course, the House and Senate bills will have to be reconciled. And, you know, during this will have to happen as part of the budget, because we cannot pass uh, a, we have to pass a, a balanced budget. So it's going to be a massively complex period of time. Well, you're on your way to Boston to deal with massively complex problems. We really appreciate (laughs) it. We've been speaking with Senator Joe Comerford. She's with us the first Monday of every month. We really appreciate your time. Be well, Senator. Thank you so very much for your representation and for being with us. Thank you for bearing with the road noises, uh, Buzz and Bill and everyone. Take good care. Drive safely. We'll be right back with the mayor of Northampton, Gina Lee Shera. I feel a painful sense of loss between the two. There goes that bracelet for her arm. There goes that new fence for my farm. There goes that brand new Pontiac. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Good morning for WHMP News. I'm Sarah Robertson. There was a bear up a tree in downtown Northampton yesterday. Police responded to reports of a large black bear in a tree at the intersection of Main Street and Gothic Street around 11.30 Sunday morning. The bear remained in the tree for over an hour, and a crowd gathered to see what it would do next. The bear did not come down on its own, but eventually state environmental police sedated it with a tranquilizer gun and relocated the bear outside the city. 
A Ludlow man is facing several charges, including assault on a police officer after an altercation on Center Street Wednesday night. Around 9.30, police responded to reports that a man had punched a car window during an argument. After resisting arrest, the suspect was subdued by officers with a stun gun. 58-year-old Randall Lepore is currently being held without bail pending a dangerousness hearing. One person died and another was injured in an early morning fire in Cummington on Friday. Firefighters were called to Thayer Corner Road around 5.30 in the morning to find a single-family home fully engulfed in flames. Crews fought the fire for over two hours. Both people escaped initially, but investigators say it one person went back inside to retrieve personal belongings and then died in the fire. The second victim was taken to the hospital with serious injuries. Drivers should expect traffic and delays on Northampton Road in Amherst and Russell Street in Hadley over the next three weeks. The State Department of Transportation will be conducting excavation for a full-depth roadway reconstruction beginning today and continuing through Friday, May 19th. Traffic will be reduced to one lane alternating on routes 9 and 116 near the intersection of University Drive. Crews will be working between 7 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. And today is the last day for Amherst residents to cast their votes in a special election over whether to pass a Proposition 2.5 override to fund the new elementary school. For WHMP News, I'm Sarah Robertson. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rochevega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Los republicanos de la Cámara de Representantes aprobaron por poco el miércoles una legislación radical que elevaría el techo legal de la deuda del gobierno en 1.5 billones de dólares a cambio de fuertes restricciones de gastos, una victoria táctica para el presidente Kevin McCarthy, mientras desafía al presidente Joe Biden a negociar y evitar un incumplimiento federal catastrófico este verano. Biden ha amenazado con vetar el paquete republicano, que de todos modos casi no tiene posibilidades de ser aprobado por el Senado demócrata, y hasta ahora el presidente se ha negado a negociar el techo de la deuda que, según insiste la Casa Blanca, debe levantarse sin condiciones para garantizar que Estados Unidos pague sus deudas. Los republicanos tienen una mayoría de cinco escaños en la Cámara y se enfrentaron a varias ausencias esta semana, lo que dejó a McCarthy casi sin votos de sobra. Al final, el orador perdió cuatro votos republicanos republicanos negativos y todos los demócratas se opusieron. En otras informaciones, la Corte Suprema habla con una sola voz en respuesta a las críticas recientes a las prácticas éticas de los jueces. No hay necesidad de arreglar lo que no está roto. La respuesta de los jueces sorprendió a algunos críticos y expertos en ética como sordos en un momento de mayor atención sobre los viajes de los jueces y las transacciones comerciales privadas. Eso ocurre en el contexto de una caída histórica en la aprobación pública según lo medido por las encuestas de opinión. Los seis conservadores y los tres liberales de la Corte parecen estar unidos en este principio particular. Sobre ética, establecerán sus propias reglas y policía entre ellos mismos. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And because it's Monday, it's Mayor's Monday on WHMP. And this Monday we have with us the mayor of Northampton, Gina Lishera. Mayor, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for, for being with us every month. I'd like to begin today by asking you about the story that has been ongoing, subject to a lot of media coverage, the story of the bear in the tree. 
So could you give us the next chapter, please? Could you bring us up to date? I can bring you up to date and I'm happy to. I know there's been a lot of concern. Um, so yesterday, state environmental police and Northampton Police Department responded. Um, there was a bear, a, a sizable bear in the tree right outside of the, um, the old courthouse. And, um, and in addition to the size of the bear, there was a size of a crowd that is sort of gathered to watch this bear. So that's- There was a um, bear, you know, there was great. a bear breaking into the courthouse? This is interesting. <laughs> Uh, the bear had not taken that step yet. The bear had gone up the tree um, next to the courthouse and was in the tree for a while. And there was a lot of people that had gathered. Um, so that's a very stressful situation for a bear, um, as well as anyone, any humans involved. So um, as, as uh, sometimes you have to do in these situations is um, the environmental police actually tranquilized the bear and the bear fell out of the tree. Um, and I know that people are very concerned that the bear was injured. This is actually something, a process that happened, you know, that we have to do, not we, environmental police have to do periodically in these sort of situations. Um, the bear is not injured, the bear was fine and was successfully relocated to a location. We don't tell the location for, mostly for the safety of the bear. Um, the bear, yeah. bear is located to an undisclosed secret location. It's an undisclosed <laughs> secret location um, because if people know the location, then they go to it, and that's not helpful for this poor bear. So, um, and also, you know, the bear was under a great deal of stress, so we wouldn't want anyone to be in danger. But having a bear downtown like that is um, is a spectacle, but it's it's dangerous for the bear in many ways. Um, if you know people want to know why we didn't just wait for it to come down. Obviously, it's it's downtown. There's a lot of human traffic, but there's also a lot of uh, vehicle traffic, and we didn't. Um, we would never want the bear to be hit by a car or injured. So, Mayor, that, this, this um, is this is Buzz. Why didn't they use those uh, sort of trampoline-looking things that they catch people with who are jumping? Uh, the, Buzz, the they department. did. <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah, they did. There's actually lots of pictures of uh, like a whole ring of people with one of those. Oh, that's um, good. The, I'm not sure that the bear actually hit the trampoline, um, but was safe. It, it kind of, when it fell, it kind of went in different directions and because um, there are many limbs, but the bear was is completely, it was totally safe and uninjured by this the is fall. A, this is a feel-good story, Bill. Now the bear is in witness protection. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to know, Mayor, just a bit more about how this actually works when there's an event like this ongoing in your city. Do you get a call? Does the police chief get a call? Do Is there some kind of emergency response mechanism that comes into play? Just tell us a bit more about how well, this we have Well, we have animal control. Um, and so I actually don't know what first calls happened, but I, I imagine animal control was contacted, um, which is housed within NPD, which is just right around the corner from um, where this bear was. And, um, and then the state environmental police were contacted. So um, it was quite a response. If there are pictures where you see that, um, you know, the street was partly blocked off and they were really trying to control people from getting too close to the bear. Um, and again, because it was, it was stressed out up and it, it went up the tree, I think, because it was feeling stressed. Okay, and then the bear lived happily ever after, as far as we know. That's the that's today's. Yes, I don't know if the bear is ever going to come out and tell their side of the story. But, um, <laughs> for now, right. 
if, if it wants to disclose its location, that's its, its business. But for now, <laughs> it, is, it is safe, and um, we will not uh, be disturbing it any further. Great. While we're on the topic of Main Street, in the Daily Hampshire Gazette last week, a big article, front page, about the planning going on for Main Street. And I would like to know any number of things. I don't mean to pose a multiple multiple part question, but I would like to know whether there have been changes in the plan for Main Street, uh, what the progress is for the plan on Main Street, whether it's on on course uh, to be implemented, and is this is this plan as it stands final, or are there changes still possible? Sure. So it just had this this plan. So this is the Main Street redesign. It's part of the Complete Streets Corridor and Intersection Improvements Project. Um, through MassDOT, Mass Department of Transportation. Last week, it had a major milestone. Um, it had its 25% design public hearing with representatives of MassDOT and Tool Design, which is the design and engineering firm that the city's been working with on this project. So that is an important milestone in the design. Um, and <clears throat> there are not significant changes since sort of the last public meeting around this. Um, so. It is reconstructing the layout of Main Street west of the intersection of Elm and West Streets, all the way down to the intersection of Market and Holly Streets. And that's um, the reason for it is to bring it in um, into this complete streets transportation, bring it in line with the complete streets transportation design policy and to create a safer Main Street for everybody with improved accessibility for all users. Um, this project really is a once in a lifetime or longer opportunity to address safety issues that we have with Main Street. Um, and also to create, I think, to create a, a downtown for a, a changed economy, a changed way that we do retail, and of course, for our changed climate. So I think this is a really important project um, for our present, but also for our future. Our, the, the design of Main Street hasn't changed in over 100 years. Um, and we know that there are significant safety issues. So this is a really important project, which is why the state has prioritized it. Um, so from this point, um, you know, the design provides a, a travel lane in each direction with a center turning lane that'll allow vehicles to turn at certain locations. Um, one of the safety issues or concerns about mainstream is that it's very wide in certain sections. So you have pedestrians who are trying to cross a very large expanse. Um, so that is one of the key things is that we're going to we're going to make the the width um, make it less wide, but create larger sidewalks, more space for people, um, a much more robust tree canopy. I know there's a there's been some concern about the trees. So there the trees, some trees that currently exist will remain, um, but a lot of them will have to come down during the construction. They just won't survive the construction. They also haven't been planted in a way that kind of allows them to grow in the way that we'd like them to. So for um, we're actually going to replace trees two to one. So there's going to be about twice as many trees. And it will be a much more extensive canopy over the sidewalk, which is, of course, what we want um, to create shade. Are they uh, safe for bears to climb? Oh, sorry. Never mind. Let's move on. I didn't. Mean, I, I, I didn't. I didn't say that. They could bear the burden. <laughs> I was going to say when I said this is going to be more accessible for all. Um, I almost did. <laughs> not for bears. So, so Mayor, um, I, I, I would like to go back to the question about whether uh, uh, changes in the design are still possible. 
Uh, and in particular, I am, I am interested in whether the, there's the parking, which is always a, f- a fight um, when there is a reduction in parking spaces, whether parking is going to be parallel parking or whether it's going to be angled parking and whether there are uh, some safety designs because there are bike lanes. Uh, you have pedestrians crossing not only the road but the bike lane. So can you tell us about those two topics and in particular if people still have comments, thoughts, and suggestions they want to make, uh, is there time to do that? Yes. So there will now be dedicated bike lanes on each side um, that will not intersect with cars, but yes, pedestrians will have to cross in certain areas. This is this is a design that's done all over the world. Um, so I, you know, I think we we feel like this will work well for bicyclists and will help encourage people to bike downtown or bike through town um, as opposed to driving. Parking, I know there's always a lot of concern about parking. So this plan converts some of the angled parking, the angled parking on like the north side um, to parallel parking and eliminates some spaces, but increases the number of accessible spots. We just went through um, a parking study and have made some parking changes downtown um, and sort of in reviewing this again, have confirmed that there are 400 additional on-street parking spaces just within a five minute walk of, of the sort of core of Main Street and many of them in much less than five minutes. Um, and there are an additional thousand off-street spaces in um, our lots and garages. So there is a lot of parking downtown. Um, there's a lot of parking right in the area of Main Street. We are converting some of the parking on Main Street for other purposes and we'll be prioritizing some parking for people who have accessibility issues and really need to be able to park directly or very near to where they um, where they're going. And uh, you know again, we're trying to, to encourage people to um, bike downtown or walk downtown or maybe walk a block um, to be able to go downtown. And if you have to park to maybe not park directly on Main Street. We have a lot of parking. We just need to um, rethink of how we use it. Right. I mean, to walk a block for most people, I mean, obviously there are disability issues, but uh, most people really don't need to park directly in front of the store they're going to. If they walk a block, life would be better and healthier for many people. I, I would like to uh, ask you about another aspect of Main Street and downtown, which you have from, been promoting, and that's outdoor dining, which seems to be back. I did receive as a resident your the mayor's notice um, about police closing down roads so that barricades could go up, and voila, came down the next morning and to downtown, and there they were. What's the story on outdoor dining here in Northampton? Yes, you are right. So we, um, you know, we put out the notice and then we move fast to get it going. So outdoor dining is back and has begun on Main Street. So you'll see there the spots that um, that businesses have um, that restaurants. So it's only for dining um, have requested and are utilizing. Um, unfortunately, I, I hope the weather will start cooperating with us again. We had like a great week of outdoor dining and then um, it's gotten a bit chilly, but it'll come back. So um, outdoor dining is in full swing. And then um, Summer on Strong will be coming back as well as Masonic Street Live. So Summer on Strong is going to kick off on May 30th, so right after Memorial Day. Um, and we'll continue through the summer. 
and Masonic Street Live will be happening at that time as well. And that's, as of right now, we know there's gonna be Sunday night salsa lessons on um, at Masonic Street. So this is the parking area behind Main Street um, next to the Masonic Street lot, a little section of the Masonic Street lot. We'll have a stage and we'll have seating areas again. Um, and this year we are kicking off a third location, um, which is we're kind of, where I'm going to call it garage band on Brewster Court. So this is between the parking garage and, um, and the businesses um, on Hamden Court and, or Hamden Avenue and um, in that area, which is called Brewster Court. So there's going to be a stage there. And on Thursday evenings, there's going to be live music. We are speaking with the mayor of Northampton on this Mayor's Monday. We're going to continue with Jean Louis Scherer. I want to ask about the Pride Parade this Saturday. I want to ask about the Home Rule Amendments. Will 16-year-olds be able to vote in municipal elections? So much more to cover. We'll be right back. I don't want to be a tiger Cause tigers play too rough I don't want to be a lion Cause lions ain't the kind you love enough But as a wound of me You're telling me Put a chain of that More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. Having a hard time with your mental health or substance use? You have options. The 24-7 Behavioral Health Helpline is your front door to care. Call 833-773-2445 to speak with a trained staff member and get connected to the support you need. Want to see someone right away? Visit mass.gov cbhcs to find your local community behavioral health center, a service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Push, push, come on, one more. Let's go, go, go. Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And it's Mayor's Monday on Talk the Talk on WHMP, and we are speaking with the mayor of Northampton, Jean-Louis Shera. Mayor, this Saturday, Pride is back in Northampton. 
I'm wondering if you could share your thoughts about that. And I would like in particular to know, in addition to the celebratory aspects of the event, um, whether this kind of event is viewed as being good or uh, not significant in terms of the economy of the city. Mayor? Yeah, exactly. Um, quick before I, I segue to Pride, I just want to also mention the Florence Summer Concert, Concert Series, which the city is also sponsoring. So in addition to those outdoor um, venues that we just talked about downtown Northampton, um, there's also the, the ones in Florence. So um, I just want to make sure that people know about that. Yeah, which I well. should note, we were really successful uh, in the last year. I don't know if they were... Uh, how many? How long it's going on for? But uh, there are beautiful venues uh, by the uh, by by and near Civic Central Center. Florence that uh, where these concerts happen. Really, really spectacular and wonderful music. Agreed. So I encourage everyone to check that out this summer as well. Okay. So moving on to Pride. So yes, Pride is back. It's a little bit looks a little bit different than um, maybe what you remember from before the pandemic. This year, it's going to start at Sheldon Field, and it kicks off at 11 a.m., um, and it goes from Sheldon um, to, uh, it will then come up Bridge Street and um, is going to then end up in the Armory Street uh, lot here downtown, um, and there are scheduled 50 parade contingents. And once you get to um, to downtown, there will be 27 vendors. There'll be a stage with speakers and music in the lot. Um, it will be a wonderful celebration. Um, so people are, you know, I think we've all very much missed Pride and, and are really looking forward to it, to it being back. Um, and it's, it feels a little bit like it's going back to its roots because it used to be um, <clears throat> smaller and, and used to end up downtown. And so actually, kind of to your question, Bill, um, you know, Pride is an, a very, it, it's an important identity event for Northampton, of course, um, but it is an, an important economic event as well. And I love the fact that it's ending downtown and that um, I hope it will draw a bunch of people and, and get them downtown and into our great restaurants and our shops and um we'll just feel some of that that great energy that um that we associate with pride the march itself will go could you give us that route again if you have it in front of you sure so it starts at sheldon field mm -hmm. um off of bridge uh bridge street and will come up um, Which is Route 9 for those. We should know this is yeah, now called Hampshire Pride. So we'll, I think yeah, there's a concert, concerted effort to include people from around the region. Of course, it was always a regional event. At, at, yes. So, but anyway, so it starts uh, down by uh, just off, just beyond downtown uh, in Sheldon Field. And then where does the march go? Then it's going to come up Route 9. Um, so up Route 9, Bridge Street, and onto into Main Street, all Route 9. And then we'll be turning, um, I, I, I assume it's going to turn onto Pleasant Street and go into, um, into the lot. That's right near where you are right now at WHMP. We are looking forward to it. Um, let me turn in a minute or so we have left. There are home rule petitions that in front of the legislature, things that a municipality needs the legislature's permission to uh, accomplish. What are the home rule petitions before the legislature this session that will affect Northampton if they pass? 
Sure, so we have a bunch of refiles. So these are ones that didn't go anywhere last session. Um, and that includes the, um, the 16 year old vote that I think you, you had mentioned before. Um, this would allow residents 16 years of age, um, 16 and 17 year olds to vote in preliminary and general city elections. So just municipal elections. So that has been refi refiled and it's at the Joint Committee on Election Laws. Um, another one at that joint committee is our ranked choice voting for the city of Northampton that we're really going to try and push. It didn't go through last year, so we're going to um, we're going to try and push that and get that done this year. Um, another one in the election law joint committee is the, our um, our petition to allow not a resident non citizens to vote in same preliminary um, and general city municipal elections. Um, so those are all refiles that we have. Um, we also have one requiring brokers commissions to be paid um, by that to prohibit landlords um, or brokers from requiring brokers commissions to be paid by the tenant or a prospective tenant. So to put it on to the, the landlord. All of which, which um, requires the legislative approval. We're going to have to leave it there, Mayor. We'll come back. We'll talk more about home rule next month. We'll see where it stands with the yeah. legislature. We thank you so much for your time and leadership. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles, or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign Northampton up for a WRSI HD2, Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's 10 o'clock. This is CBS News on the Hour, presented by Indeed.com. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. Fear not, First Republic Bank customers. J.P. Morgan Chase's Jeremy Barnum says you'll find all of your money exactly where you put it after today's seizure and sale. First Republic branches and offices will open today and operate normally. First Republic customers can bank as usual and feel confident that their deposits are backed by the strength and security of J.P. Morgan Chase. First Republic's collapse is the third mid-sized bank to fail in two months. Just in from Washington, the Supreme Court has declined to hear a challenge to an Indiana law that requires abortion remains be buried or cremated. In Cleveland, Texas. <laughs> 
A vigil for the five people killed, among them a nine-year-old boy, when a neighbor opened fire after he was asked to stop shooting into his yard Friday night. Police say the suspect, 38-year-old Francisco Oropeso, is armed and should be considered very dangerous. Special Agent James Smith. He is out there and he's a threat to the community. And we need the community's help to hopefully locate him soon and take him off the streets. There's an $80,000 reward for information. Another twister's torn through the South. As many as 100 homes were damaged and a state of emergency was declared after a possible tornado moved across Virginia Beach, Virginia, Sunday night. Countless stately old trees were damaged in Stephen Keck's neighborhood. I just can't believe the damage when I walked down just one block. As I was looking around, there were times where I didn't even recognize where I was. There were natural gas leaks at numerous homes. No one was killed or seriously hurt in the storm. Jim Crisula, CBS News. An American warship has rescued more than 100 U.S. citizens from the violence in Sudan and taken them to Saudi Arabia. Correspondent Ramey Inocencio is in Jeddah. Malaz Khalid is from Queens, New York. Just seeing like dead bodies on the street, seeing like like tanks. She's flying straight back to the United States. You're taking off now. How do you feel? I feel relieved. Like, alhamdulillah. I'm happy. A U.N. refugee official says 73,000 people from Sudan have now made it to neighboring countries. Hollywood's TV and film industry could be shut down by midnight if the Writers Guild doesn't have a new contract it likes by then. Correspondent Elise Preston. The union wants higher pay for episodes airing on traditional TV and increased guaranteed residuals, especially on streaming platforms like Paramount Plus and Netflix. The last time writers went on strike in 2007, it lasted for 100 days. One of the main sticking points this time, using AI to write scripts. The Dow is up 76 points. This is CBS News. Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit. I'm Howard Mackler, founder of Innovation Refunds. You've heard me talking about the payroll tax refund for months. If you own a business, even if you've asked your CPA about this, you owe it to yourself to take another look. We provide a licensed and insured tax attorney who evaluates your company at my expense to determine eligibility. Businesses of all types can qualify, so go to GetRefunds.com to potentially get a payroll tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. Download the Innovation Refunds app or go to GetRefunds.com, GetRefunds.com. When they're investigating, we can't stop watching. This month on BritBox, sit back, relax, and enjoy watching The Detectives. Discover Britain's most bingeable mysteries, including the brand new season of Grace, the hit series based on the books by best-selling author Peter James. Unwind with The Detectives you could watch all night long. Stream them all now exclusively on BritBox. Endlessly intriguing. Start your free trial at BritBox. Good afternoon for WHMP News. I'm Stefan Ward-Wheaton. The state's highest court has ruled that criminal cases against the former superintendent and former medical director at the Holyoke Soldiers Home can resume a year and a half after a Hamden Superior Court judge had dismissed grand jury indictments against them. The Supreme Judicial Court ruled 5-2 to two Thursday that the Superior Court judge had erred in dismissing the indictments against Bennett Walsh and Dr. David Clinton back in the fall of 2021. The Attorney General's Office, which at the time was headed by now Governor 
Governor Mara Healey had appealed the lower court's decision to the SJC. Walsh, who was the superintendent of the soldier's home, and Clinton, who was the medical director, were charged with elder neglect for their alleged failure to provide services or treatment to veterans at the soldier's home during the 2020 COVID-19 outbreak at the facility. In their opinion, the majority of justices said that will have to be decided at trial. The ruling returns the case to the Hamden Superior Court. Police are investigating a fatal motor vehicle accident in South Hadley Thursday morning. The crash involved one vehicle with two people inside the car. A 21-year-old man died in the crash on River Lodge Road, and the other passenger was taken to the hospital. And a senior at Hamden Charter School of Science East in Chicopee will be getting a free ride to college. Thomas Silbilly, a senior at the school, has received $500,000 in scholarships from seven different colleges, including two Ivy League schools. Silbilly told Western Mass News he plans to attend Columbia University in the fall after receiving a scholarship of $54,000 each year he's there. For WHMP News, I'm Stefan Ward-Wheaton. For today, look for a mixture of sunshine and clouds. It'll be breezy, chance for a shower in the afternoon, high 62 to 66. Tonight, mostly cloudy, chance for showers, overnight lows 42 to 46. And the other for Tuesday, mostly cloudy, chance for showers, highs in the mid-50s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to our show. This is Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, happy Law Day, happy May Day. Yes, happy Law Day, happy May Day. And with us is, it's first Monday of the month, which means that we are lucky to have Professor Emeritus of Western New England University School of Law, Bruce Miller with us. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Buzz. Hey, Bill. Good to be back with you guys. Happy Law Day. Happy May Day to you. Only in the United States do we conflate Law Day and May Day. That's an, it's an amazing thing. But Explain we, that we to do. me. Well, uh, the, the origins of May Day as International Workers' Day go back to 1886 when a massive general strike and demonstration in favor of the eight-hour day known as the Haymarket Affair, uh, that de demonstration erupted in violence in 1886. Um, and it was such an important event in the history of the labor movement, uh, and it happened uh, in early May, that uh, May Day became, uh, for radicals all over the world, uh, International Workers' Day. And it, so it was, everywhere except in the United States. And then uh, in 1958, right after Sputnik, when the Cold War was at its height, President Eisenhower purposefully and openly, he said so, said what we need to do is to provide an alternative to May Day. And he called it Law Day, essentially placing in his view law on one side and workers' rights on the other. <laughs> we can hope that it is not inevitably that way, but that is the history of our celebration of Law Day on May 1st. Or as Eisenhower would put, have put it, did put it, uh, this is a competition between America and the rule of law and democracy versus communism. Exactly right, exactly right. So what is Labor Day? How does that fit in? Well, La Labor Day, of course, uh, uh, needed, we needed to have a Labor Day, but it could not be May 1st. This was long before, because May 1st would radicalize uh, uh, Labor Day. And so we had to come up with a, with a different day. And so the first Monday uh, in, in early 20th century, first Monday in September was established as Labor Day. Also as a direct response, not just to May Day, but the fact that May Day was an American thing, that it was the American labor movement 
that initiated May Day. And we have uh, sort of engaged in a massive uh, forgetting uh, of, of our history with respect to uh, the, all those days. It, it is interesting because historically, especially in Western Europe, there was the May Pole. There was a, May was a time to yes. usher in uh, rebirth. Yep. And, you know, springtime is... It's a beautiful time of year. It is. It is. And it's part of uh, uh, the statement for labor was yeah. well, in the exactly. context of and, springtime. And uh, our, our aim can be to unify uh, Law Day and May Day. Uh, each have wonderful traditions. And there are Maypole celebrations going on in well, Northampton. Well, that tradition absolutely. actually does continue. There you go. Yeah. Well, so yeah. much for May and so yeah. much for Law Day. Happy, happy Happy, happy Law Day to everybody. So there's so much going on. Um, so can we talk a little bit about the ethics issue in the Supreme Court? We can. We can. Um, and just let me say that what brought it to light is a disclosure that, uh, in, in fact, uh, Justice Clarence Thomas had been taking uh, trips on yachts and private jets and had failed to disclose them. He also had sold some properties that were he partly owned to a party with interest before the Supreme Court. Yep. And nobody knew about it. It became public. I'm not 100% sure how. Um, but there are real issues about ethics in our Supreme well, Court. Well, there absolutely are. And uh, the, uh, the actions of Justices Thomas and Gorsuch, who, 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 who sold uh, the, the property to somebody with interests in front of the Supreme Court, at a great profit to Gorsuch, each of those would be uh, uh, an easy, obvious violation uh, of the judicial code of ethics that applies to every federal judge in the United States, except for the justices of the Supreme except Court. Except for nine of them. They uniquely do not have a code of ethics uh, of their own. Uh, Congress, unfortunately, dealt them out of an old act back in the 1920s uh, that established the Judicial Conference of the United States and authorized uh, uh, the issuance of a, of a legal code. And the, the current legal code has been around since the 1970s, and the Supreme Court is not subject to it. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts has said, uh, in, 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 and repeated in this letter that was prepared over the weekend. Well, let's just set that up. Yeah. Senate Judiciary Chair yep. uh, Dick Durbin yep. invited the Chief Justice to testify, testify. because the Judiciary Committee wanted yeah. to know whether it should be promulgating rules that include those nine justices on the Supreme Exa Court. Exactly right. And Chief Justice Roberts wrote back a letter, and in the letter he said he, what? He said, no, no need for any of that. Uh, we already comply with the purpose and the spirit of this code. Uh, really, nothing going on here, nothing to look at. Uh, you're driving by a train wreck but um, in, in Thomas and Gorsuch, but no real need to do um, anything. And we don't know what other train wrecks are out there because well, we don't well, see right. it. In, no in fairness, enforcing a code of ethics presents really difficult questions when you're talking about the Supreme Court. Who is going to enforce it? And if it's going to be another branch, be careful what you wish for because that enforcement power can be weaponized and what we've seen is that everything that can be weaponized will be weaponized uh, by, by the right. And uh, I, I can see an enforcement scheme being used to target uh, progressive judges uh, uh, for bogus reasons. Uh, it's very difficult. You can have the justices themselves enforce the code of ethics. 
Uh, but then you have the justices perhaps acting strategically against one another. So it's a very difficult problem to have an enforceable code. But that does not, for me at least, detract from the importance of the Supreme Court taking seriously their obligation to have a code, if only so that their conduct can be publicly compared to the obligations that they've taken on. Well, and right now they're able to say, yeah. well, we're really not covered by anything. Bruce Miller, what there, I mean, the Constitution says the Supreme Court is the supreme law of the land. It's the only, only federal court established by the Constitution. And that federal court, in, it, it has divisions that have to do with the administration, the sort yep. of pragmatic needs of every court in the yep. federal system, including the Supreme Court. It's possible for them to set up within their own branch. It could. A, a, something to, that can monitor whether or not people are well, at, at on le- the take, at for least, example. At le- absolutely. What, at mean, least keep track of it. At least have a way of reporting it, knowing it, um, what, what has happened in the last year with respect to ethics, clear disclosure obligations, clear recusal obligations. Now, I can't imagine Chief Justice Roberts saying to Justice Thomas, you have to recuse yourself. That yeah. is, it's very difficult if the justices start giving orders to one another. It could happen, but it's a problem. Nevertheless, I think most ethics uh, uh, professional, legal ethics professionals would, would argue strongly for the idea that there has to be a code if only to inculcate a culture of some kind of self-monitoring. Bill, let it's, me bring you into this conversation that if, in fact, we're talking about separation of powers being a real concern, and that's what Justice Roberts in his letter, yep. he, he points to separation of powers and says, I should not be te- testifying before... Uh, another branch's hearing on this, we should monitor ourselves. If separation of powers is why you're concerned about who's going to be enforcing, but what about corruption? Losing confidence in a Supreme Court to be a corrupt, free, unprejudiced, unbiased entity, isn't that super important? Let me make that a question for Bruce, which is the Lower courts, federal courts, yes. the courts of appeal, they do. the district courts all yep. have these rules they about do. ethics. Why wouldn't? Why do, can those exist in the rules for the Supreme Court? Oh, that's a big problem. Yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. I don't well, get well, it. The, the difference is not a theoretical one. I think theoretically they're all the same and ought to be subject to the same rules. As a practical matter, the fact that you have only nine of them and that they are the highest court makes it uh, difficult to imagine how the enforcement would work among mm-hmm. those nine. But who cares, with, about, who cares about enforcement? I mean, well, uh, well, uh, that's, uh, that's I mean, sort of my I mean, point. I mean, for example, we have an entire part of the United exactly. States Code that deals with, for example, uh, how to fly the flag. Right. There is no enforcement. Yep. It is absolutely unenforceable. Exactly. But it's there because it tells well, people that's something important. You and I are trying to make the same point, Bill, and, and that is that it's really important that there be a code of ethics even if there is no practical way to enforce it. You know, because it could largely be self-enforcing and an embarrassment it, it, to the court when it comes exactly out that right. someone is flouting exactly the law. Right. If people know that they're being watched and that there are standards to which they are held by what you might call the court of public opinion and those who watch what the court is doing, I, I think it would make it much more difficult for Justice Thomas to be taking these lavish trips on, on, uh, on the nickel of, uh, of a large Republican donor. And sweetheart real estate deals. Oh, exactly, exactly. 
over decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's very chilly. On the basis that someone told them some years ago that he didn't have to report it, even though under the federal law, it seems obvious to everyone who's ever looked at it. Of course he has to report it, oh, and of well, course he doesn't want to, exactly. because of course it's embarrassing in the same way yeah. that Ginny Thomas yes. being on the payroll of right-wing political yeah, yeah, yeah. groups yeah. is embarrassing yep. and not yep. reported by Thomas either. And Bruce Miller, as, as a, an attorney, as a professor, Clarence Thomas refused, or he failed. I should say that he did not disclose who it was that told him that it was okay. You no. would think that he would say... Here's the authority upon which I rely. Well, you you would think, and you would think, and and yet uh, he and he and and Gorsuch have have really taken the view that the less I say about this, the better. And and of course, I suppose from their point of view that might be true, but from our point of view, it ought to be the opposite. Dan, his barber said it was okay. Uh, well, then it's fine. Obviously, yeah. uh, I actually wanted to to say um, to ask you, Bruce. I read somewhere that. Um, this uh, Supreme Court Justice uh, Clarence Thomas has uh, very strong opinions about money influencing politics. Basically, he thinks by people who are donating money should just be able to donate directly to politicians with no limits, no anything. He just says things it's fine, yeah, right? I mean, I, I've read a couple that, articles yeah, that sort of insinuate that that's, that's exactly what his position right. is. And now that the Supreme Court is an overtly political branch of government, he's covered. I think that's right. That seems to be his uh, opinion. He thinks yes. actually there's too much regulation currently, and there should just, abolish just the remaining Thomas regulation. Justice Thomas believes that the First Amendment precludes any regulation of political expenditures by anybody at any time, near as I can tell. Wow. Well, I think what I'd like to do is take a break because I'd like to ask you about transgender issues in terms of policy. What happened in Washington State to a legislator who just was. Uh, uh, stumping for just talking about uh, the need for transgender health rights and the like. And um, Montana. What did I say? Washington. Montana. State it of was. Montana. Yeah, it's right next door. It is. It is right next door. It was in Montana. Thank you. We're going to take a break and I'll try to get our states right right after this. I've put it all together. Now I'm finally on a roll. I feel every Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. WHMP.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. It's lawn care season, so remember, what you put on your lawn and garden can wash with the next rainstorm into our rivers and lakes. Here's two tips for better lawn care. One, 
test your soil. Find out what your lawn needs before spending money on product. UMass Extension offers testing. Two, leave grass clippings where they fall. When mowing, this will put nutrients back into your lawn naturally. Healthy lawns, healthy waters. Brought to you by the Connecticut River Stormwater Committee. Learn more. Click Lawn and Yard Care at thinkblueconnecticutriver.org. Being nosy is a good thing. Like if you suspect a natural gas leak in your home, get outside immediately. Then call 911 or your natural gas provider. Natural gas gives off a funny smell, kind of like rotten eggs. You may also hear a hissing sound or see a hazy white cloud. So if you notice any of these signs, get outside immediately. Then call 911 or your natural gas provider. Being nosy can keep you safe. From the member companies of the Northeast Gas Association. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to the show. Before we continue our conversation with Professor Bruce Miller, uh, Bill, in the break you were telling us May Day is May 1st is not just Law Day and May Day. Well, it's the first day of National Mental Health Awareness Month as proclaimed by President Biden, and I think that's worth, that's worthy of note. There are also, I think, less momentous uh, mentions that should be made for May 1st. May 1st also is National Chocolate Parfait Day. It's Frequent Flyer Day, and it's Mother Goose Day. And just in case there that you think we're going to run out of days to be, to be honored on May 1st, tomorrow, May 2nd, is National Brothers and Sisters Day. Buzz, the microphone is yours. Well, i, I got to get home <laughs> and start baking cakes. Bruce Miller, we were talking about transgender rights in the United States just before the break. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts about what we see? We, we hear a lot coming from the Biden administration about Title IX and, and perhaps some changes, and then we see throughout this country what I think are dreadful, dreadful legislators doing dreadful things. Yeah, by, by most counts, there are now at least 20 states that have enacted legislative bans that in some way are aimed at denigrating the rights and even the existence of, of transgender people. Um, almost all of these include complete prohibitions against transgender girls and women participating in sports organized by schools. Um, these laws uh, will very soon be in direct conflict with a proposed regulation uh, that the Education Department and the Biden administration has proposed uh, regarding the rights of transgender athletes under Title IX, which is the very important federal law that prohibits sex discrimination um, in colleges, universities, and schools that receive federal funding. And that has important impact, as we all know, uh, on, on women's rights and, and trans people's rights in sports. The Biden administration's proposed rules are very nuanced, but what they do for sure is prohibit these kinds of flat prohibitions that the states, many of the states, have, have opted. Uh, any school or college that gets federal money, even if they're organized by the states or our public schools, um, as a condition of receiving that federal money, will not be allowed to adopt or enforce a flat ban on transgender girls and women participating in sports. On the other hand, uh, the Biden administration has not completely come down 
the opposite way. They haven't said that trans girls and women have an absolute right to participate in all sports um, uh, as themselves. They have said um, schools and colleges, and this puts a great burden on them, are entitled to take into account the values of fair competition and the need to prevent injury. And they are authorized to make sport by sport, age by age, uh, uh, judgments uh, with respect to participation rights in their own schools. This is, is probably a pretty accurate uh, sort of uh, effort to balance the difficult competing values between fair competition on the one hand uh, and participatory rights um, on the other. It will make it very, very difficult for the schools and colleges, especially in those states where there is one of these um, bans. When you say accurate, do you mean it's consistent with the public's view of what the policy should be? Oh, I, do don't know. I, I don't know for sure what the public's view is, but I do think that, uh, that, that we have uh, a, a, a different competing values here. Uh, a judge in, in West Virginia said, uh, on, the, on the one hand, uh, trans girls and women's participation uh, in sports uh, is, is uh, essential not just to free them from discrimination, but for them to be themselves. On the other hand, that same judge observed um, that uh, the Supreme Court has allowed uh, for gender lines to be drawn by the government uh, if they are based on, and, and this can be a loaded phrase, real differences. And the real difference that the judge pointed to, and he says in some instances this matters, is that on the whole and in general, uh, people born and assigned male at birth in general grow up to be bigger, stronger, and faster, not exclusively of course, but significantly, than people assigned female at birth. And in fact, the entire basis for Title IX is rooted in that. We have separate sports teams for girls and women because of those real differences. That's why my daughter was able to play D3 volleyball in college. Um, Division three. Yeah. Division, yeah. And, and so there's, there's something to this. On the other hand, um, as, a, as a lawyer for Lambda Legal has pointed out, there's a big difference between a middle schooler who's a cross-country runner and generally finishes in the middle of the pack than there is between an NCAA champion swimmer. And, and drawing those kinds of lines is now going to be, at least as far as the Biden administration is concerned, first of all, the job of the schools and colleges to do themselves. Now, some of them are already doing it and saying with respect to certain kind of sports, say, say, say basketball, uh, we, we are, we are going to use uh, biology at birth. Uh, as, as the governing factor. On the other hand, maybe for a sport uh, not nearly as prominent, uh, like badminton, where, uh, you know, the assigned gender differences arguably don't matter as much, uh, will allow full participation. I'm not saying that's easy or that it's right, but it is, uh, it is an effort to uh, uh, accommodate uh, with the Biden administration's approval 
these uh, uh, competing uh, values. It allows for a discussion of whether or not it there's a competitive a disadvantage uh, or a competitive advantage for people who exactly right. usually go from male to female. female. Yep. yep. All right. So let me pose the hard question yeah. to you, Professor Bruce Miller. Yeah. Where do you come out? Is this what should be done? I think some version of this is what ought to be, what ought to be done. Um, that is, I do think that whatever answers are given uh, ought to be answers that reflect uh, the need for fair competition uh, in women's sports. Uh, and, and that may mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm hedging here because I find it such a tough question, that, that may mean uh, limiting the rights of trans women to participate um, in, in some sports, especially at very high levels of competition. I think it would be co completely responsible to take the view, which is, I think, not my view, but to take the view that the values of equal participation for everyone as themselves trumps, e trumps fairness in competition. But if, I think that if that's going to be done, it should be done openly and with an acknowledgement that there is a cost to be paid for that. It sounds like, as usual, reasonability is, is where we should be Well, but decide, I'm not so sure, because deciding what's reasonable um, is, 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 is not an easy thing to do. I'm no. not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it. Yeah. What you're saying is sport by sport, it might be different yeah, well, level by level in terms of the. Well, you know, that's I, the position that the <coughs> Biden administration takes. Um, and I think, you know, as, as you can see, I'm agonizing with this. Uh, I, I think that that's a, a responsible position. But I do think that there's a strong argument to be made that the rights of trans people to participate as themselves are more important than the values of fair competition and that they ought to, to govern. I'm, I'm suggesting that, that that's a discussion that ought to be had openly and with an understanding that there, that there are serious trade-offs here. Uh, for the short term, all these flat bans that say no trans people ever um, in, 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 in sports are going to be subject to very serious challenge. Yeah, the, I see one of the major problems here yep. is that people who are transphobic, yep. the right wing who yep. would like to just make trans people disappear, disappear, say, aha, we have an issue here that we can latch on to. Well, no trans women sports. I think that's sports. exactly what's going and on. And we're going to just make these yeah. people disappear and we'll treat them like second-class yeah. citizens and send them to the back of the bus and we have an issue we can latch on to and win on because it's not, it's not, it's not. The, well, this kind of discussion <coughs> that I think ought to be had is not being had and that opportunistic use is exactly what's going on. But to recognize that is not to tell us automatically what the right resolution um, is. Well, it's also the current in, in this, uh, I really do I think I'm going to be thanking Disney, but Disney's challenges with respect to Ron DeSantis' anti-gay, anti-trans um, policies, I think that that could be a very interesting, it could result in a very interesting discussion about these issues. Well, it could, it could. Yes. I think that's right. It's Ron DeSantis. It's not going to be an interesting discussion. It's, it's going to be a, a, a food fight where people's lives are at stake. Might prompt an interesting discussion among the rest of us. It might, yeah. He doesn't like Donald Trump.
Trump. He doesn't like Donald Duck. Well, Bruce Miller, thank you again. Right. First Monday is always a real treat for us. Good. good. Thanks, guys. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking. It's Writer's Block coming up with Megan Zinn and Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya on his new book, Chain Gang All-Stars. We'll be right back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Good morning for WHMP News. I'm Sarah Robertson. There was a bear up a tree in downtown Northampton yesterday. Police responded to reports of a large black bear in a tree at the intersection of Main Street and Gothic Street around 11.30 Sunday morning. The bear remained in the tree for over an hour, and a crowd gathered to see what it would do next. The bear did not come down on its own, but eventually state environmental police sedated it with a tranquilizer gun and relocated the bear outside the city. A Ludlow man is facing several charges, including assault on a police officer after an altercation on Center Street Wednesday night. Around 9.30, police responded to reports that a man had punched a car window during an argument. After resisting arrest, the suspect was subdued by officers with a stun gun. 58-year-old Randall Lepore is currently being held without bail pending a dangerousness hearing. One person died and another was injured in an early morning fire in Cummington on Friday. Firefighters were called to Thayer Corner Road around 5.30 in the morning to find a single-family home fully engulfed in flames. Crews fought the fire for over two hours. Both people escaped initially, but investigators say that one person went back inside to retrieve personal belongings and then died in the fire. The second victim was taken to the hospital with serious injuries. Drivers should expect traffic and delays on Northampton Road in Amherst and Russell Street in Hadley over the next three weeks. The State Department of Transportation will be conducting excavation for a full-depth roadway reconstruction, beginning today and continuing through Friday, May 19th. Traffic will be reduced to one lane alternating on routes 9 and 116 near the intersection of University Drive. Crews will be working between 7 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. And today is the last day for Amherst residents to cast their votes in a special election over whether to pass a Proposition 2.5 override to fund the new elementary school. For WHMP News, I'm Sarah Robertson. Hi, Tom Hartman here. Be sure to join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. Occupying the media three hours a day, five days a week for We the People. On 101.5, 1400, and 1240. Join me noon to 3 Eastern Time, Monday through Friday, right here on the Tom Hartman Program. WHMP. Twenty years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build the solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. It was one of those big historic houses in Conway, built in the 1800s, a real beauty, though a bit of a challenge to insure. Steve bought it for about 700000 The insurance company figured the replacement cost to be about $5 million, a bit of a gap there. 
But there's a specialty insurance company we work with from time to time at Whalen Insurance, and soon enough, we were able to get the house insured. When a home buyer has a tough situation with insurance, like Steve did with the house in Conway, their real estate lawyer usually sends them to us, Whalen Insurance. We'd like to insure your house, too, even if it isn't as challenging. We'll get you every discount available, and more importantly, if you ever need help or have a claim, you won't be calling a 1-800 number and entering your policy on the dial pad because at Whalen Insurance, we answer the phone. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Mafre Insurance. Call for a quote, 586-1000. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is time for our weekly writer's block with Megan Zinn, and you have a very special guest I today. I do, I do. My, my guest is writer Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. And uh, Nana Kwame Ajebrenya is the New York Times bestselling author of Friday Black, a collection of short stories. And he was a National Book Foundation's 535 honoree, the winner of the Penn Jean Stein Book Award and the Soroyan Prize, and a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle's John Leonard Award for Best First Book. And he's also a photographer and, mu- and a musician. Take a deep breath. That's I a know, lot of recognition. I know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> his new book, which will be available tomorrow, is the novel Chain Gang All-Stars, uh, which has earned a glowing review in the New York Times and the Washington Post, among other pop- publications. And Nana will be reading from his book and discussing it with Jared Loggins at Odyssey Bookshop this Wednesday, May 3rd at 7 p.m. And you can find more on their website, odysseybks.com. So welcome, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Thank you for being here. No, thank you so much for allowing me to be in this space. I'm grateful. Yeah, and I think um, the last topic on the show um, and talking about um, trans people, and particularly trans women in sports, is an interesting segue into this because of the topic in your book, which is sort of a dystopian women's sports gone gone beyond horrible. Um, and um, so tell us a little bit about this book, Chain Gang All-Stars. Yeah, Chain Gang All-Stars is about an imagined future in which convicted wards of state can opt out of a sentence of at least 25 years and participate in death matches. Um, and if they uh, survive three years in what they call the circuit, they can get freed or clemency. And so the, the, the books about that, particularly these two women who, who are on this, um, particularly these two women who are in this sport. But I uh, was listening to the previous conversation. I just mm-hmm. thought it was so interesting because it, uh, it offered nuance to a subject that some people try to uh, sort of are afraid to speak about. Mm-hmm. And I thought, um, it's just it was just really smart because I, the lack of nuance, the unwillingness to think deeply about issues and have a conversation is a lot of why, in my mind, uh, the prison industrial complex exists as it does. Yes, because there there's not a lot of nuance in that discussion among a lot of people in our country. Um, to, yeah. to jump in, can you um, read a few of the paragraphs, the opening paragraphs of your novel for us? I can do that. All right. This is Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajebrenya. The first chapter, which we're not calling a prologue because I asked on Twitter if people read the prologues and I was shocked to find. (laughs) Some people just skip it. Which which always strikes me as very strange. It's part of the book. But go on. It's kind of like starting a song in 37 seconds in. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It feels strange to me. Exactly. Please read the prologues. We all tried very hard. Yes. You meaning authors. Um, It's called The Freeing of Melancholia Bishop. 
she felt their eyes, all those executioners. Welcome, young lady, said Mickey Wright, the premier announcer for Chain Gang All-Stars, the crown jewel in the Criminal Action Peanut Entertainment Program. Why don't you tell us your name? His high boots were planted in the turf of the battleground, which was long and green, stroked with cocaine white hash marks like a divergent football field. It was Super Bowl weekend, a fact that Wright was contractually obligated to mention between every match that evening. You know my name. She noticed her own steadiness and felt a dim love for herself. Strange, she'd counted herself wretched for so long. But the crowd seemed to appreciate her boldness. They cheered, though their support was edged with a brutal irony. They looked down on this black woman dressed in the gray jumpsuit of the incarcerated. She was tall and strong. They looked down on her and the tight coils of black hair on her head. They looked down gleefully. She was about to die. They believed this the way they believed in the sun and the moon and the air they breathed. Oh, That's the first page. Beautiful. Um, uh, that was Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya reading the first couple paragraphs of his new book, Chain Gang All-Stars. So what was the um, spark of this story, your, your inspiration for writing the story? It's hard, it's hard to name it because mm -hmm. it's probably many things that I'm unaware of, but the one that I can kind of track maybe best is um, my father was a defense attorney when he was alive. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember back when I was like probably maybe 12 or 11, him telling me he was defending someone who um, had killed someone, who had committed a murder. And then so as a child, I remember being like, well, that's interesting to know my dad is like a villain, <laughs> you know, and with that sort of lack of nuance I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And I remember whatever I said, sort of saying, why would you do that? I remember him explaining or at least offering that it's not that simple. Mm -hmm. And that years and years and years ago was probably something like a seed, you yeah. know, and I think over time growing under getting more cynical of our current quote unquote justice system, um, just becoming aware of the sort of practical reality of what prison looks like and how it functions. I think all those things accumulated into what eventually became an exploration into the idea of abolition, which this book is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bill. When you say exploration, did you, use the process of writing the book as an exploration for yourself? Or did you know the story when you set out to put it on paper? It's a really important question. For me, it's always an exploration. I did not know the story. And I also didn't even know if I was truly an abolitionist, actually. Mm -hmm. I think in a lot of ways, the book was me asking questions at a high level, like being forced to do research. And, um, coming to a conclusion that not only am I abolitionist, but that uh, prison as it exists is a terrible blight on the very idea of a humane civilization. Yeah, yeah. Why did you um, choose to make it about women specifically in, in the prison system? Well, on, on some level, when I first was starting, I just had this idea of this woman in the eye of the arena. Mm. Uh, I had the, the character there where I thought it was going to be a short story before it kind of blew up by several hundred pages. It became this novel. Um, but I think that there's a particular way in which women in particular, black women, maybe even more in particular, um, uh, LBGQIA identifying wom woman of color are seen in the eye of like everyone or society mm -hmm. or our current American systems anyways. 
and excuse me, with a black woman, just a particular way where you might be both loved and revered and hated and stomped on, disrespected and lifted up at all at once. And I think I really wanted to, uh, that felt very compelling as a sort of central character to have be the person through which the rest of the story was orientated. Nice. Um, and again, my guest is uh, Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, who is reading um, from his new novel, Chain Gang All-Stars, and, and will be in conversation with Jared Loggins at Odyssey Bookshop this Wednesday, May 3rd at 7 p.m. And you, There's more information on their website at odysseybkbks.com. Um, also, you include footnotes in this book, which is my understanding that some are true and some are not. Um, tell us about them and why you decide to take that approach. Uh, yeah, it was a painstaking decision. I'm not a writer who like loves footnotes, or I thought I didn't love them. I think most of us ident like when we think of footnotes, we think of like academia and like um, or maybe legalese. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I also was resisted the idea of them because. I remember reading the John Gardner book um, on on writing, and his big idea was about never breaking the fictive dream, which I strongly attach to. The books I love, you almost feel like you forget that you're reading. Mm-hmm. And once you put a footnote in, you almost inherently have to be reminded of the fact that you're reading just because of the physical nature of your eye having to leave where you're at and go down on the page. So that mechanical experience, I guess I resisted. But because of the sort of... I don't know what you want to call it, entertaining aspects of my book. I really wanted it to be impossible to divorce Uh, the, mm -hmm. if you want to call it fun, from the Mm -hmm. violent reality of our current carceral system. Because sometimes people miss it. You could like lose, get lost in the, like the more engaging aspects of the book. And I love writing engaging work, but I really wanted to be impossible to miss the actual thing I'm sort of trying to um, anchor back to. Yeah, have the reality hit you. as you know, on a, on a regular basis. Bill? I'd just like to note that tomorrow on the show, we're going to have an author. His name is Jonathan Losos. He has a book. It's a nonfiction book. Uh, he is a uh, evolutionary biologist. This is a book about cats called The Cat's Meow. And early on, he has a footnote. And he says, I hate footnotes. I really hate <laughs> footnotes. But I have lots of them in this book. And I want you to know that it's really interesting stuff in all the footnotes. So skip it if you think they're, you know, it's going to interrupt your reading. But they're really interesting. And a lot of I good stuff is there. I, I love that. I love that. But don't skip the prologue. Um, <laughs> my, so my guest is... And my book, don't skip nothing. He's don't, more don't, generous than me. There you go. Don't skip anything. <laughs> don't skip anything for me. <laughs> You're right. Exactly. Um, so my guest this is Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, and I think it's and his new book is Chain Gang All Stars, and I think we have to take a break for some ads. We we'll do back. indeed. We'll be right back. I hear the train a coming. It's rolling around a bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps her rolling on down the sand and When I was just a baby. My- More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com 
and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on WHMP.com. Pride in Northampton, Brewers Fest in Brat, Collider Fest in Florence. What's going on? A look around the valley with provisions. Northampton's Pride Celebration. This Saturday begins with a parade at 11, then a pub crawl at noon and celebrations all over town. Collider Fest. It's a two-day festival of international music, food, drink, dancing, workshops, and a record fair at Bombix in Florence, May 12th and 13th. Sustainable wines. Free tasting Friday, May 12th at 3 at Provisions Northampton. Outdoor farmers markets, including Grow Food Northampton. Northampton's weekly Tuesday market, 1.30 to 6.30 behind Thorns. The 11th annual Brattleboro Brewers Festival, Saturday, May 27th. Over 100 brews and ciders, Saturday, May 27th. This is Jim Neal with What's Going On, a monthly look around at food and beverage, arts and music, and anything cool. What's Going On is presented by Provisions, wine, beer, cheese. Free tastings Friday, 4 to 7, at the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton, in the Mill District in North Amherst, and at the Longmeadow Shops. The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Megan Zinn and Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya on his new book, Chain Gang All-Stars. Yes. So, um, Nana, how do you, as a writer... Avoid getting swept up in the violence. Avoid getting lost in the horrors of this world. I imagine that must be must be a, a careful balance you have to take. Well, I'm a pretty, if you can believe it, despite the like, nature <laughs> of a lot of my writing, I'm a pretty squeamish. Per, squeamish. Uh-huh. Like I don't like great violence. I'm mm-hmm. not a horror guy. I, I can like watch it if I can get forced to. So for me, it's not that hard actually, because I have to. It's more of a struggle to even put that stuff in. Mm-hmm. I just have to do it because I I want the systems I'm creating to reflect the visceral violence of, uh, of our actual lived systems. Yeah. Okay. Um, and what, what is your hope for the impact of this book beyond, beyond an excellent read? Um, it's an important question. I, I'd be grateful for people to be reminded that our current prison system is not only a, not natural. Mm-hmm. It's, I think some people think it's just like the way it has to be. It's some, some aspects of it are relatively new, and I would most love for people to remind themselves and be empowered to know that we have the power to change things. This is not how it has to be. Bill. You told us the story of how this theme has been percolating within you for a long, long time, going back to your dad's work as an attorney. I'd be interested to know if you had to do significant research, uh, either with regard to some of the underlying uh, plot points or other aspects of the book? I absolutely had to do a ton of research, (laughs) much more research than I've ever had to do before. Um, So I really look to luminaries like Ruth Wilson Gilmore and Angela Davis, who have done a lot of work in the field. Mary M. Kaba is a great researcher. I read um, Albert Wood Fox's Solitary. As I was a little bit further in the book to get his personal account of his decades in solitary confinement in um, Angola prison. But also I did, I just like, there's a, people like ProPublica and like 
there's so many resources that do great uh, that do great work and it was able to find you know for a fact that the LGBTQIA community is explicitly targeted by the mm -hmm. prison industrial complex, as is the trans community, mm -hmm. as are as are people of color. Um, it's a it's a violent system that uh, really feeds on our most vulnerable, and I know that like empirically now. <laughs> yes, yes, um, and you don't just write as a way to challenge our incarceration culture. You you work with schools and formerly incarcerated people, correct? Yeah. So I've I've I visit my former school, I'm um, part of East Rampo Central School District, Rampo High School, and also Spring Valley High School. I try to be engaged with them. I work with a group called the Rockin' Coalition and a new Jim Crow, and we do a bunch of a bunch of projects with formerly incarcerated or just advocating for different bills. In New York, we have HALT right now, trying to end, um, you know, trying to change cash bail and things mm -hmm. like this. So, yeah, there's a, I I've just, I think the book is also sort of a product of that yeah. part of my life. Yeah, that, that certainly makes sense. Um, and you started writing pretty young, yet correct? Tell, tell us about that. What got you started? Um, I am from the, like, you know, uh, the earliest, like, group of, I guess, like, manga and anime. Mm. I was huge mm -hmm. on these things as a kid. Um, but also, I'm lucky that in my house, reading was cool. Like, nice. my older sister was a big reader. And my neighbor, when we moved out of the city, I was born in Queens and I moved to Rockland County. Um, we would like read a book and we had like, almost unofficial book club because if there was something good, I would pass it to my, like my, one of my best friends and then he'd pass it to my little sister and then my little sister passed it to whoever, you know, and we all just like read like that. And so we, I guess we just had a taste for it. And I think that I just fell in love with the idea of making something from nothing. Mm -hmm. I remember writing on my dad's like yellow legal pads and I also really liked the idea that it couldn't be taken away from me easily. And so I just started writing some of like stories that we were almost like creating orally together. And then eventually I started um, diving down the path of writing my own like sort of secret fantasy epics or whatever. <laughs> Great. Um, my guest is Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya. Um, and we're talking about, we've been talking about his new book, Chain Gang All-Stars. Um, and he's going to be reading at Odyssey Bookshop uh, on Wednesday night, um, May 3rd at 7 p.m. You can find more on the Odyssey website. So tell me, um, what writers have inspired you? Can you, um, and, and what, what have you loved about them? So a lot of the people I just mentioned, so Angela Davis mm -hmm. and Wilson Gilmore, um, Miriam Kaba, like they're super inspiring to me because their lives are really dedicated to a cause. They've written important books, but they also move in their lived lives as mm -hmm. people who care about the world. And that feels very inspiring to me. Yeah. Um, in terms of like literary fiction, some people know uh, George Saunders mm -hmm. is an important mentor mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. um, really, uh, one of the, I, I studied with him at Syracuse MFA. Oh, how wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, Arthur Flowers is another writer that's great, um, been important for me. I have a lot of people that I look up to uh, that have done a that are both living and not living. Obviously, Toni Morrison, the great Toni yes. Morrison, is you kind of can't write in America without being influenced by her. <laughs> and uh, but so many people, Dennis Johnson, whoever you might name, uh, I have a ton of Jasmine Ward. I have a ton of people who are really just huge for me. Wonderful, yeah. Um, and so, what are you working on now? I'm working on uh, being sane through this book tour. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, Bill. Are there events in this book that are bi uh, biographical for you? Yeah, um, there are 
so there's footnotes in which I mean, I don't, it's, it's not a sport. There's footnotes in which I, I cite things that happen to people I know, but the the actual nature of the book is mostly not biographical. Um, but there are some inserts that are connected to, if not my life, the life of people I know personally. Um, and so you also write music. Is it, um, does that feel different from writing novels? Or how does that, how for you is that different from writing fiction and, sh- and short stories? You know, it's, it, I, I feel very grateful that writing is like the thing I came to first because I feel that uh, working with the medium that is also like so inherently connected to the medium to which my own consciousness is I'm aware of my own consciousness, like Mm -hmm. I think in language, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, it makes it easier, I think, to feel malleable as an artist. And so with the music, which I'm still very much a novice at, and I feel like (laughs) um, I'm almost unworthy to talk about it like on the radio. Uh, It feels really fun for me, though, because I do think that I can think of um, how to, you know, how to escalate a story, so to speak, or escalate a song, how to make it feel like it's reaching climax, how to just make things feel connected and strong in many different ways. So I love that aspect of it. And I also like that just fun. I get a chance to play. I love being a novice again. Ah, and um, yeah. that also feels really important for me. Wonderful. And so, nobody cares. It's fun, too. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, something for you. So my guest is Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, and his new book is Chain Gang All-Stars. And Nana will be at Odyssey Bookshop this Wednesday, May 3rd at 7 p.m. And there's more info on the Odyssey website. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's absolutely been my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. All right. Good luck with everything. It sounds like a must-hear at the Odyssey to, yeah. to hear him uh, read from his new book and uh for you listeners thank you so much for joining us on talk to talk like our guests try to do every day let's all try to walk the walk you just stress that like a rubber chip don't be jumping at the side of your When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. Some of the lowest income districts will actually be able to spend per student close to some of the highest districts, as it should be. You should not be underfunded because you happen to have been born in Holyoke or New New Bedford or Fall River. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. What if there were a way to go into cancer surgery or treatment feeling more comfortable and optimistic? Recorded meditations can help. Doctors have said that it makes their job simpler. Nurses tell us their patients may go home sooner and need less pain medication. Cancer Connection creates custom meditations for people affected by cancer, and you don't even have to come in. Go to cancer-connection.org to learn more or donate today. Cancer Connection relies on WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11:30.